Welcome to the Ark Church Podcast. On here, you'll find all of our Sunday and Wednesday messages, as well as classes and special services. If you would like more information about the Ark Church, visit us at thearkchurch.com or download our app available to all app stores. Our heart for you is that you would live for God, grow stronger, and make a difference. Enjoy. We've been doing a, a theme really at the beginning of the year. This, this theme just kind of came up in my heart about a different year and different, not from the standpoint of creating New Year's resolutions per se, but doing things differently and uh, you know, having some different, different uh, motivations, different thinking, and that's really what I want to talk about this morning is a different mindset, having a, a different thought process. If you want things to change, obviously you're going to have to change some in, in your mindset and in your thinking. And so I want to talk about that, especially from one perspective of that. That's a process. That's something we don't just do like a, like a snap, but we at least can get started in that area. And I, uh, I was thinking about the fact that really, as individuals, our mindset should be always evolving that there are life changes that take place that pretty much almost force us into a, a change in our thinking. A little girl had, had moved into her own apartment. She, out of school, got a job. She was going to church. She was a good girl, good church girl. But she was lonely, and, and she didn't really want a dog, so she bought a parrot <laughs> to create some, some chatter around the house. And This parrot could chatter, but unfortunately... Whoever had this parrot beforehand just cussed horribly. And this was a cussing parrot. This parrot, this parrot put strings of cuss words together. And, you know, she found it annoying, and then she found it embarrassing when people from church would come over, and this parrot would just go off. And, and uh, she just got so frustrated, and she tried to talk to the parrot. She tried. The parrot wasn't listening. And one day, the parrot just took off on a blue streak and just cussing like crazy. And she just had enough. She reached in there. She grabbed him by his little parrot neck. She looked around. She, was gonna, she just opened the freezer and threw him in the freezer and shut the door. Oh, that parrot cussed and cussed and cussed. And all of a sudden, stop cussing. Silent. She thought, I've killed him. She opened the freezer door and he's sitting there. He cocks his head, looks at her, he said, if my deportment has caused you offense, I would like to sincerely apologize. <laughs> said, my language will change from here on. And uh, she held out her hand and he stepped on her little finger and he looked at her. And she said, well, I'm apologies accepted. He said, may I ask you a question? She said, yes. He nodded his head back toward the freezer. He said, what did the chicken do? That's a life-changing event. <laughs> that evolved his mindset. If you, here's some mindset changes. If you have children, when you have children, people say, oh, children will change your life. They weren't kidding, were they? they that, is, that is not a joke. It will change your life. It will change your mindset. And you can't just think about you. Now you have a, a child. That's, that's a, a mindset change. Um, getting older is a mindset change, or should be. And it's relative. I mean, you should be thinking differently at 15 than you are at 30. But as you get older, you need to also make mindset adjustments. When Michael, Michael, who's our youth pastor, he's, he's pretty stocky. He wasn't always stocky. He went from being kind of a skinny kid. All of a sudden, he just kind of blew up. 
when he hit about 17, he's lifting weights and he's strong as a horse. And he was in there. We were in the living room and Joy was sitting beside me. We were talking. We were talking about wrestling or something. And Joy looks over at me and goes, why don't you wrestle him? I'm 50 at this time. <laughs> he's 17. I'm 50. And uh, he said, why don't you wrestle him? I went, no, no, no. He's like, yeah, come on, Dad. Why don't you wrestle me? <laughs> and I said, no, son, I'm not going to wrestle you. And he mumbled something and then went up to his room. I looked over at Joy. I said, don't ever ask me to do that again. <laughs> I said, because what you don't know is I, if I wrestle him, I'm going to have to beat him. I said, and my mind will write a check my body cannot cash. <laughs> at 50, you better have an evolving mindset about what you can do. I told her, I said, something's going to get twisted way out of proportion if I wrestle this child. So after he's feeling all froggy, I stepped up into his room and He's in bed, and I sat on the edge of his bed and had a very fatherly talk. I said, son, I said, won't you understand something? I know you're all strong and you're tough. I said, but I'm crafty. I will come up in your room and beat you to death while you're asleep, so do not mess with me. Now, if you're new here, please understand that we, we, <laughs> we joke a lot, and that's... I've never had to do that to my children, and we don't do that, and we don't advocate that. I'm just saying that if you, as you get older, you have to start thinking differently about things. Your mindset evolves. You know, relationships, when you enter into relationships, when you, when you come out of relationships, it, it causes a change in mindset. But the most important life event that can ever take place in your life, ever, is receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That is the defining mindset. Now, some of you may want to push back and go, no, no, when I got married or when I had my first child or when we had our first grandchild, that's the biggest event in my life. I I'm going to push back on that. If you've made, see, here's what happens. Would you make Jesus your Lord? You change your eternal destiny. And you change your internal composition. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. You have really changed yourself. So that's, yeah, these other things are important, but this is the one that will go on for eternity. And so it's a huge, it's a huge life event, but it doesn't necessarily change our mindset. That's something we have to do. See, it's not automatic. We have to do something about it. The potential to change our mindset is immense. But look what Paul wrote the church in, in Rome. He, he said, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove it is that good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. He's talking about being conformed. Now listen, historically, Christianity has looked at that and said, okay, we're going to dress a certain way, and we're not going to go to certain places, and we don't do certain things. But we can't relegate our whole life with Christ down to a simple list of do's and don'ts. This is a relationship. But it's a mindset relationship that things begin to change in our mindset. And I want to talk about a grace-based mindset because all of us have had mindsets that have been influenced by something. I've shared about my, my parents. Both of them are in heaven now. I appreciate the fact they took me to church. They, they, they were believers. And, and so I know I'll see them again, and I'm glad. I'm probably in trouble when I do see them because now that they're in heaven, I get to tell all their, their stories and uh, it's, the, it's the liability of being part of a preacher's family. But both of them grew up poor. Both of them grew up in single-parent homes in Georgia in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, which is a little bit unusual. Both of them were hand-to-mouth. My dad went hungry. 
And that poverty influenced how he, his mindset. He was a business owner. He, went to, he put himself through Georgia Tech. He was a, a successful corporate executive, started his own business. We were not a poor family. But his whole mindset had been impacted by poverty. Everything was money with my dad. If I left the lights on in a room and walked out and did not cut the lights off, he would charge me a dime or a quarter. And this, you say, well, that's not much. Well, it was in the 60s. If we grumbled, we actually had something called a grumble box. If I complained, ever, it, he would say, okay, that's a quarter for the grumble box. That's a nickel for the grumble box. And then we took the proceeds from the grumble box and gave it to missions. I think I funded a car. <laughs> but everything was money. And I even remember as a young child, everything, everything had to be about money. We weren't poor. We weren't living hand to mouth. But he was impacted. His mindset had been impacted by poverty. I wanted, as a kid, now this, boy, this will really date you. You might have to Google it. Before there was Amazon, there were Sears and Roebuck. And Sears, and my parents, for some reason, thought that Sears and Roebuck was the fashion epitome of the world. And that's where I had to get all my clothes. All my jeans came from Sears. But when I was a kid, they came out with a, a tennis shoe called Red Ball Jets. And the television commercial said they would make you run faster and jump higher. And I wanted some. But my parents wouldn't buy me Red Ball Jets. I still remember this. I'm still in therapy about this. <laughs> they wouldn't buy me Red Ball. I had to buy Sears Jeepers. I say, I can tell this is a younger crowd. First crowd, they're like, ah, they remember Sears Jeepers. Some of you are Googling right now, what, the, what are Sears Jeepers? <laughs> Sears Jeepers had no style whatsoever, but it was all about money because they were impacted by poverty and it impacted his mindset and his mindset was impacted. Listen, when the Bible says don't be conformed to this world, it's not just talking about how you dress and, 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 and where you go and what you do. It's talking about the mindset. We have a world that's impacted by a fear mindset, by a pride mindset, by a rebellious mindset. And it says don't be conformed to that. I said, well, if I'm not going to do that, what, what, what am I going to do? Well, instead of a fear-based mindset, we can have a faith-based mindset. And instead of a, a pride mindset, we can have a grace-influenced mindset. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. A grace-influenced mindset. Grace is God's favor and His power on our behalf that we did not earn and did not deserve. Grace, big word in the Bible. I will not cover the whole thing this morning. But I want to give you a beautiful picture of the grace of God in the Old Testament and then I want to show you how it applies to us in the New Testament. Now, use a man in the Bible that's one of my favorites. is David, King David, amazing warrior, poet, soldier, king, leader, prophet. And David, when he killed Goliath, created a real problem with King Saul. King Saul was the king of Israel at that time. And when David killed Goliath, all Israel began to sing about David. And began to really exalt David and it made Saul jealous to the point where Saul, for years, tried to kill David. David had to run from him. But David had an ally. Saul's son, Jonathan, was David's best friend. They were just so close. In fact, they were so close that they formed a covenant with one another. We would call it an agreement, a binding legal agreement, a covenant that said 
I'll take care of your family. You take care of my family. We're bound together. And so David and Jonathan formed this covenant. And on the day that David was somewhere else in the nation, Israel went up against the Philistines in battle and Saul and Jonathan both were killed on the same day. Saul and his sons died. And it set off panic in Saul's household. All the palace was panicked because they were afraid that now that David would swoop in and kill them. Jonathan had a son whose name was Mephibosheth. Please don't ever name your child that when you look for biblical names. That is so hard to pronounce. Mephibosheth. He was five years old. And when they heard that, that Saul had been killed and Jonathan had been killed, his nanny picked him up and ran with him. And in her panic, she dropped him. And he hit his head or he hit his spine. And he wasn't previously lame. He went completely lame in his legs, both legs. Paralyzed, never use them again. So now we fast forward. David is now the king. He's been established. He has a family. And he's thinking about his friend Jonathan. Long dead, but not forgotten. And he thinks about Jonathan, and you get to see his heart here. Now, this is a, a long passage here, but I want you to see it. David said, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. And there was a servant of the house of Saul's name was Ziba. And when they called him to David, the king said, are you Ziba? He said, at your service. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? David believed God was kind. Ziba said to the king, there's still a son of Jonathan who's lame in his feet. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. And King David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. And when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, here's your servant. David said, don't fear. For I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. And I'll restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather. And you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself, Mephibosheth did. He said, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? The king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I've given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and all his house. And you therefore, your sons and your servants, shall work the land for him. And you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son, Mephibosheth, may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. And Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. This is a beautiful picture of grace. David initiated the plan to find someone in Saul's family. And he wanted to find them not because he even knew who they were. He didn't even know Mephibosheth existed. He wanted to find somebody in Saul's family that he could show kindness to because of Jonathan. He appreciated Jonathan and what Jonathan had meant to him and how Jonathan wanted to help him. And how so now he just wanted to, to bless anybody that's associated with Jonathan. And Jonathan, even though he's dead, is a key figure in this story. So he finds out about Mephibosheth and he finds that Mephibosheth is living in a low state. Mephibosheth knew nothing about Jonathan and David's agreement. He knew nothing about his covenant. He's five years old. 
when his father died. He knew nothing about what had happened. And so here he is hiding from David because he believes that David is, is trying to kill him. And he's probably blaming David for the reason he doesn't have any, any more strength in his legs and his legs are paralyzed. He has a completely distorted view of David because of what he'd been told and simply because of, of what's transpired. He didn't know the truth. But when David sent and brought him, it probably scared the poor guy to death. He's now a young man. In fact, he's got, he even has a son of his own. So he, they pull up to Makir's house and Lodabar, which just sounds like a rough place to be from. Where are you from? Lodabar. That's like Lodabar. There's the bar and there's Lodabar. Bad part of town. He doesn't even have his own house. And they take him and they bring him and they bring him before King David. Probably scared this boy to death. And when Mephibosheth gets in front of David, you begin to see two perspectives. David sees him one way. Mephibosheth sees himself another way. David saw him as the son of Jonathan, who he just loved. And he just wanted to be so good to him. He couldn't do enough for this young man. He saw him through Jonathan's eyes. Mephibosheth was afraid and saw no value in himself. He's lying there just on the floor, just in front of David, groveling pretty much in front of David. And when David talks about what he's going to do for him, he said, why would you do something for such a dead dog as I? He referred to himself as a dead dog, which has no value. He'd been so defined by the fact that he was lame. In fact, you saw the son, the servant Ziba, who said, yeah, there's a son of Jonathan. He's lame in his feet. Why does that have to be part of how this young man is, is known by? Because we have a tendency to label people. So he's labeled by his weakness. It's not like today. At that time, if, you're, if you were paralyzed in your legs and you couldn't fight or you couldn't work or you couldn't stand, you, you were not treated well. Not like today, you know, our governor's in a wheelchair. But he's been able to do the job and he's treated with great honor. But not in that day. And so Mephibosheth looks at him. He's defined by his weakness and he's like, why such a dead dog is I? But David, David showed grace to him. Mephibosheth had never helped David. He'd never done anything for David. He probably had a bad view of David. And David took that young man and elevated him to a place of such great honor. He sat him at the table, the king's table, with all the king's sons. There's Absalom, probably Solomon, a young Solomon was there. There's all the king's son, a bunch of good-looking boys all sitting around the table. And here comes Mephibosheth, and they're all wondering, who in the world is this guy? And David stands up and said, the, the man who was the dearest friend I've ever had, his name's Jonathan, he died in battle, and this is his son, Mephibosheth, and he is always welcome at my table. And they probably all raised their glasses and saluted Mephibosheth. Place of honor. He didn't deserve, he didn't earn he just got it because of Jonathan. And he got all this land that Saul had owned, that now David owned, and David gave it to him. So all of a sudden, now not only is he not living in a low state, now he's got, he's got, he's got a staff of about 45 people working for him and harvesting the land. You talk about just a whole life turnaround. That's grace. He didn't earn it, couldn't earn it, didn't deserve it. But because of his relationship to Jonathan, 
David was kind and showed the kindness of God. So what's that got to do with us? Everything. Everything. I'm going to read a passage out of Ephesians. It's a little bit of, Ephesians is a book of great depth. But I believe we can handle this. We're growing as a church. We can handle this. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you've been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together notice the togetherness in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The parallels are striking between what David did for Mephibosheth and what God has done for us because of Jesus. Listen, guys, we weren't looking for God he came looking for us because of his great, because of his rich mercy, his abundant mercy and his great love. He's the one that sent Jesus for us to pay the price for our sins, even though we had not done a thing. It was God who initiated the search party for us. We didn't go looking for him. His grace provided Jesus for us. I read the story of a lady named Sarah Wagner, 61 year old grandmother. She was in Walmart with her 18-year-old daughter, her youngest daughter, Danielle, who was autistic, and she was buying food for the family, and she, and she was ringing it up on that self-serve area and scanning it, and she pulled out a package of steaks, and she looked at, at what her tab was, and she knew she didn't have enough money, and without thinking, she put the, the steaks in her bag. She didn't ring it up. She walked out of there and got caught by a Walmart employee, and then they make the phone call to the police. They took her to another room, and she and... Danielle is sitting there, Danielle, she's just sobbing when Officer Wagner walked in. And Officer Wagner wrote her a citation, but then he found out a little bit more about Sarah Lingram. Sarah Lingram was 61 years old, and she had eight more children and grandchildren living in her home. Her husband had died 15 years earlier. He had been the provider. And Sarah said, sometimes you just, you're so numb, you just don't even think. Officer Wagner, after he wrote her the citation, he went in the car and he checked her background. He said, she's cleaner than I am. She's got less speeding tickets. I mean, she's just, there's nothing on her record. And so he took things into his own hands. And he went by a food pantry. There's a Christian, something called Christian shelf there. And they loaded up into the front seat, into the passenger, into the back seat, into the trunk. They filled his squad car with cans and fruits and vegetables and food. And he called Sarah Lingram, told her he was coming over. She thought he was coming over to arrest her and she had views of being taken down to the, to the jail in, in handcuffs. And he shows up at the door with all this food in her hand and, and she said, no, she said, I, I, can't, I can't take this. You gotta take it back. I'm guilty, I committed a crime. And he told her that wasn't happening and they loaded all that food into her house for her household that needed it. And then as he was walking out, he said, I talked to Walmart. This is Officer Wagner. He said, I talked to Walmart. He said, they've, they've, we've voided your citation. You could tear it up and throw it away. He said, God gives second chances. Take advantage of them. Now, when you hear that story, there's something in us that responds to that. 
There's something in us that just registers with our heart. This story made the news in that community, the the television news, because there's something in us that responds to grace. And the grace of God, that when we didn't do anything, he sent Jesus. The second thing. Because of Jesus, we're no longer living in a low state spiritually. In the United States right now, the government has come up with a line. They call it the poverty line. If you make, if you're an individual living by yourself and you make less than $15,000 a year, according to the U.S. government, you're living below the poverty line. But there's another line that exists. It's not made by the government. It's the grace line. And you're in one or two places. You're either above that grace line or beneath it. But when you made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, no longer are you separated from God. No longer are you dead in trespasses. It's in that dead means separation. But you're alive together with him. You've been raised up together with him and you live above the grace line. And above that grace line, we're no longer afraid of God. We're no longer blaming God for the problems in our life. We realize, no God, you're the one It was your grace. I didn't earn it. It's because of my relationship with Jesus. Because I've received him. You've made me alive together. And boy, I'll tell you what, when you do, you move above the grace line. And that's a line that just keeps on going. Here's the third thing. We acknowledge that we look differently to God. This is so important, guys. Don't miss this. We acknowledge we look differently to God. Just like Mephibosheth viewed himself one way, David viewed him through the eyes of Jonathan. Mephibosheth viewed himself as to what he had, what he was naturally. We live in a world that looks at us as to what we are naturally. They've done studies that have determined that if you are pretty or if you are handsome, that you get treated better than other people. They've been doing studies on this for years, guys. And they've determined that if you're a good-looking little child, your parents treat you differently. Your teachers treat you differently. You'll make more money as you're growing up because we give people who are pretty, it's called the halo effect. We think because they're attractive physically that they have character qualities, that they're good people, that they're trustworthy, that they're people that you can, can have a relationship with. We give them all these qualities because of how they look physically. And by contrast, if someone is not attractive They get the reverse halo effect, and we think they don't have these qualities. But that's how the world looks at things. And unfortunately, that's how too many people look at things. But if you belong to Jesus Christ, you look differently to God. You've been raised up with him. You've been united together with him. You've been made to sit together with him in heavenly places. You have a place at the table. You have a place. It's not just the preachers are there. It's everyone who's received Christ Jesus as their Lord has a place at that table. And you are his workmanship. You, you're his worksmanship. You are so much more than what the mirror says, than what your parents have said, that what your ex has said, that what your in-laws have said, oh, so much more. So much more. To God, we look beautiful. He said, well, I, I haven't earned it. I haven't deserved it. That's why they call it grace. Mephibosheth was seen through the eyes of Jonathan. God sees us through the eyes of Jesus, united with him. His worksmanship, one translation says, his masterpiece. I love that. 
Tonight before you go to bed, you look in the mirror and you see things that weren't there last year. And you're thinking, wow, everything's going south. Why, why, why? Stop right there and go, but Lord, I want to thank you that to you, I am beautiful. I look good because I am connected with Jesus. And because of your grace, I'm no longer treated as less than. That's the last thing. We have to agree with the grace of God. This is what changes our mindset. When we begin to agree with God's grace. Yeah, Alan, but people have told me this. Yeah, yeah. But that, that, yeah, and, and this, is what, this is what my track record has been. No, no, I'm talking about seeing yourself through the eyes of grace. That you're loved, that you're no longer less than, that we're no longer defined by our weaknesses. We're defined by his grace. What would have been different for Mephibosheth if his father Jonathan had left him a document? Dear son, if you're reading this, it's because I'm no longer here. But I just want you to know that even though I'm not here, you have an agreement with the king, David. And all you need to do is take this document that I've sealed with my hand. You take that to the palace and you tell David that you need his help. And because we have a covenant, you have help. What would his life have been like if he had a document that said, oh, wait a minute, I've got a, a covenant with, with the king of the nation. With the king of the nation. I'm not just having to live here in Lodabar. I got, a, I, got, I, got a, I got an agreement. But he didn't have that. So he didn't know. Huh. But we have a document. We have a document. We have a document that tells and spells out exactly what Jesus has done for us and exactly who we are because of our relationship with him. That document, the Bible, gives us the confidence to be come before the throne of grace, not just a kingly throne, not just a president, not a government. We can come before the king of grace and say, Lord, I want to thank you that I can come boldly in your presence because I belong to Jesus. And this document says I'm yours. It says I'm accepted. It says I'm forgiven. It says, my weaknesses no longer matter. I'm seen by grace. And that's a mindset change. That changes everything. Would you bow your head with me for a moment? You're listening to me, you're watching online, and you've, you realize I've never made that agreement. I've never accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm living beneath the grace line. Today's a great day to change that. All you have to do is accept what he's done for. You have to earn it. Don't have to be good enough. Just accept it. Or maybe you're like I was. I had done that. And then I got away from God. And I remember the emptiness I felt, but I also remember that if I come to him, he'll take me back, and he certainly will. Such your bowed eyes are closed. We're going to say a prayer. We're not going to have you stand up. We're not going to have you come to the front. And by the way, there's prayers for you who are watching online. But if you're here and you're listening and you say, you know what? I don't want to live below the grace line. I, I, I want to live in the goodness and kindness of God. We're going to say that prayer and this prayer is for you. We're not going to have you stand up. We're not come to the front. But I am going to ask you to do one thing. If that's you that I'm talking to and you say, Alan, I Man, I, I, want, I want to be sure or I want to come back. I need your prayers. Would you slip your hand up just quickly across this auditorium and say, that's me. Would you pray for me? Thanks. 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 
things. Yeah, all over. Good. Thank you for your courage. It takes courage to do that. And it takes a level of humility. Thank you for that. Thank you. God sees that. We see that. But this is not just a show of hands. This is a heart thing. So we're going to say a prayer. And this prayer is for you if you're watching online. Obviously, I can't see you. But you can pray this prayer with us. We'll pray it out loud together. We'll pray with you as a church family. If you're by yourself, pray it out loud. If you're with others, pray it quietly. But say, dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Head still bowed, eyes closed. Father, thank you for those that prayed that prayer, for those who've come to you for the first time, for those who've come back. And Father, for the rest of us, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the grace that we have. Thank you that he is the key figure in our life now. He is central. And because of him, everything changes. Thank you for that. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the wonderful plans that you have because we are your masterpiece created in Christ for good things that you've prepared. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message has blessed you. Don't forget to check us out on all the social platforms. We're uploading encouraging content on a regular basis. For more information, go to thearcchurch.com. Have a great week.